five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. on the internet. Step right up, folks. Ride the ride of the century on Eli's killer crane. Insanity of violence and the madness of make believe. You're cheating me. You look at me like I'm some kind of damn movie. Well, I'm not. I'm real. I'm off this shot. Hang on, baby. We're Trapped in a nightmare, wrapped up in a movie. The Stuntman, an outrageous leap into the unexpected. All right, that was uh, Peter O'Toole and Steve Railsback with a nice glimpse at uh, Barbara Hershey's barely clad upper torso. And that's uh, from a movie called The Stuntman. And it's one of these uh, Hollywood movies that's about movie making and the, uh, the thin line between the real and the surreal in terms of movie making. And, uh, we're going to get into that today. That That's part of uh, today's show theme. Behind me, you'll see a, uh, a backdrop of Dennis Hopper 
in, I believe that's uh, Peru, if I'm not mistaken. And he filmed a movie called The Last Movie, and he filmed it in Peru. And it's another movie that is a commentary about making movies and where the line between the movie and reality and reality in the movie becomes quite blurred. And you can see in the background here that there's a very strange, uh, almost bamboo-looking-like version of a movie camera that was created by the local people to imitate the real movie cameras, theoretically, <clears throat> who were filming this movie. It was a, it was a Western. It was a knockoff of a Western. Uh, but Hopper, just coming off of Easy Rider, didn't want to do an easy movie. So he created a movie about a movie, about making movies, and about the thin line that exists when you're wrapped up in the movie and when reality starts to creep in. The Stuntman is a really interesting movie. Of course, uh, you heard the voice of Peter O'Toole, who plays the director named Eli <clears throat> in the movie. And what's interesting about The Stuntman is that World War I is the backdrop of that movie. Like they're doing a World War I film. And at that time in Hollywood, nobody was doing World War I movies. That came out, I believe it was, I think it was actually filmed in the late seventies and, and it was supposed to come out at a certain time in the eighties, but it was held back. Like the, no studio really wanted to release it because they didn't think that there was any real commercial appeal to the movie. Although I think it's a great movie. Uh, maybe they didn't want to give up the goods and have people understand that reality is like a movie and the movie is becoming more like reality. So, so it's a very interesting juxtaposition. And, and the great thing about the stunt man is that the, the rug keeps getting pulled out from under you while you're watching the film. And it's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant exercise in illusion. And you're taken along for the ride, just like Steve Railsback's character is taken along for the ride. Right at the end of the, of the trailer, you see his uh, car getting the tire shot out. And then it goes off that bridge. Um, Steve Railsback is an interesting character, especially a, a, the choice for that movie. There was a, I think it was a made-for-TV movie where he played Charlie Manson. He had this real physical energy. He wasn't very tall. He reminded me in some ways of like Brad Davis, the actor Brad Davis, who um, was kind of popular towards the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. Uh, he played the character, the main character from the movie Midnight Express. That was, uh, it was an Oliver Stone movie. It's a good Oliver Stone movie, by the way. But I think Oliver Stone wrote the script for Midnight Express. I don't think he, I don't think he filmed it. I think Oliver Stone's first movie was uh, Salvador, which again is a very strange movie in the sense that it's about two guys who are journalists who are covering the, the revolution in El Salvador and their lives become 
completely blurred between covering the war, kind of being in the war. I mean, it's so he gets into some of that territory in that movie. James Woods is really good in Salvador. One of the better Oliver Stone movies, but in my estimation, it's very honest. It's an honest movie. Unlike some of his other movies. Um, so we're going to look at this idea today of reality being a movie, especially as it's taking place right now with what's going on in Ukraine. And I've got a few interesting things that I, that I want to show you. One is an actual movie that was shot and edited before this quote unquote war. And it's clearly a major propaganda piece that is created as a run up for people to buy into whatever is happening now. And I'm gonna show you that movie, it's almost embarrassing. I'll show you bits and pieces of that movie. Uh, and then we're gonna drop into a series of tweets that are fairly shocking in a lot of ways. Uh, and, it, and it will go to show you that there's a movie going on here and there may be multiple movies going on. And that's where we are with reality. We're in a frame within a frame within a frame within a frame within a frame. And the, this whole idea of a war is even being turned on its head. Where is the real war happening? The real war is taking place right here in the United States. There is a massive economic war being waged against this country. And I'm gonna get into that. And there are clearly global ramifications around what's taking place whether they're real or not real, whether it's uh, a movie that's being played out or reality that has movie-like effects and a cinematic imprimatur uh, on our lives. So welcome to the podcast slash live stream. If you are listening to the podcast, you can always join us here at 15 Minutes of Flame. That's of flame ovflame.com, 9-11. Monday through Thursday, we get together, we hang out, we look at what's going on in the world and try to have some greater understanding, connect some dots, break it down, mash it up. That's, that's what we do here. And hopefully we have a, a few laughs along the way to keep it light and Make sure that you uh, don't swallow tablespoons full of doom this early in the day. Uh, let's go into Chataria. Return to Chataria. Let's see where you guys are at. Uh, I like to watch the real news. I love that, Wendy. She says real, R-E-E-L. So much footage coming out of Ukraine is questionable. Wait till you see what I have today. Real mind ass stuff. Wagging the doggy, the story within a story. It's your movie. Saint of Ken Kesey's Merry Pranksters. Yes. What's going on, Kylie? Good to see you. Sony's in the house. Jeje Rain de Blanc. Salvador is a great movie. I agree, TJ. Stone wrote the script. I think he directed Salvador. Midnight Express is a Fucking intense movie, man. Very intense movie. Tondor! Tondor's going to have to choose between me and MMA on Monday nights pretty soon. 
let's see. Love your handle. We got a mother trucker in the house. Bad mother trucker. I love that. Okay, there, there. It's better now. Let me pause for a second. Who else do we have here? Kelly B. What's going on, Kelly B? King Pat in the house. What's going on, Patrick? Good to see you. C Pines. C Pines here today. Uh, why is there no ability ability to pause? That's an existential question. Uh, let's see who else do we have here. Nine, live on both sides of the wall. Double B, Beth Berry's here. Uh, look at that, Pat. Good morning, subjects. At 9, 11 a.m. Good timing, Pat. Fall, what's going on, brother Fall? Checking in from the UK. That's my good friend, Paul. Paul and Jody. Let's see. Oh, San Francisco. Brother Mike, DJ, DJ MC, Michael's sister Nino, one of the good guys. Happy birthday. Michael's a Pisces. I, I may have missed the day, but not the sentiment. Oh, and there is Queen Lisa. If there's a King Pat, there's got to be a Queen Lisa, right? There just can't be one king in that relationship or one, one royalty. Yes, I saw that. I just went all the way back. I'm here too. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, Maurice 100 chiming in. Good morning, everyone. Watching the television news and exercise in the absurdumer. I do a small bit of it for daily entertainment purposes. Yes. Do you do you uh, watch the news for your? Uh, how do you say it? Your, your, your daily constitutional? Is that, is that why you watch the news? It's gotten so bad that it's like the former Soviet Union, and everybody knew that the news was fake. Nobody watched the news in Russia. They didn't watch it because they just knew it was all fake. And look what's happened here. A high degree of fakery. So yesterday we talked about World War One and how we got tricked. People get tricked into wars. They get tricked into these psychological operations that are called wars when they're really resets. Every time you look at a war, there's a reset going on at the same time. When we look at what was going on with the Vietnam War, um, clearly there was a major reset happening in the drug trade. At that time, prior to the Vietnam War, uh, the French were controlling uh, the flow of heroin coming out of Vietnam and Cambodia, which we know as the Golden Triangle. And then they would bring it into Marseille and it would be distributed through Europe. So when the Vietnam War started, it was a changing of the guard. There was a new uh, drug cartel moving into town, and that was the U.S. Army. Uh, I would not be surprised if there was some degree and level of aggression and fomentation that was put together by the uh, United States government or elements of the United States government to kickstart that war. We know the Gulf of Tonkin was a false flag. That's what really got us into the war uh, and really allowed us to step up the, the uh, uh, operation there. But there was insurgencies. There were insurgencies in the North. 
in Cambodia, you had somebody like Pol Pot, who was actually educated in France, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this, you'll see this with, with uh, insurrectionists and revolutionaries. I've talked about this before. They're plucked out of their local environment and almost to a T, they are educated in Europe with Europe's fi finest socialist professors, teachers, and uh, class warfare rhetoric. They are, they are imbued with that knowledge. They make the contacts and make the connections and they're sent back into their environment so they can wreak havoc and flip systems and then essentially become uh, tyrants and pariahs and hold down the chaos while the NGOs and the corporations move in and begin to slice and dice their resources. That's the game, boys and girls, at that level. And it's no different than what we're experiencing now, even though the level of the movie has gotten way more sophisticated and the players may not even really be flesh and blood players at certain points along the way. So, but what was happening in Vietnam while the, while the chaos of the war was taking place, there was a reset going on here in the United States. And we've talked about this ad infinitum. Uh, and really, it's JFK that gets us into the war. We have the assassination, which we've talked about many times. That really being the kickstart of the catalyst. Again, whatever your thoughts are, whether he's dead or not, doesn't really matter. Like in the psyche and the hearts and the emotions of every American, he died. That's the way it is, right? And so then, therefore, what happens? People have an emotional reaction based on that information, based on that experience. So that was really the precursor. But once the Vietnam War kicks in, everything gets reset. We have the chaos and the turbulence of what's happening here on the domestic front, which spreads into an international event, of course, 1968. They have this big revolution in Paris, in the streets of Paris. So there's something happening at a global level uh, during that time. And so we go through a reset. There is a reset that begins to take place that leads to the, um, uh, essentially the political assassination of Richard Nixon, and then ultimately the advancement of the liberal uh, social Marxist class uh, that would rise to power through that conflict from the 1960s. So it's a complete reset. So when we have wars, we have resets. This is what happens. And we're in a, there, we're in a global war. This is a global uh, fifth generation asymmetric war. And the, the real target of the war is not the Ukrainians. The real target of the war is the West, is the United States, is the idea that we can live our lives as individuals and express ourselves and to have some degree of autonomy, both economically, spiritually, and uh, politically. And that's in the crosshairs right now. So everything you're seeing is really not about Ukraine. It's not even really about Russia, although Russia is being used as a catalyst to move this agenda further down the track. And really the, the target zone is right here in this country as gas prices rise to astronomical levels. And Biden essentially ended all new leases. And you have that, uh, that shithead, Pete Buttigieg. I can't, I can't even say his name. 
I don't even, you know what? I don't even want to devote the time and effort to try to understand how to say his name. I, I, I'd like to call him Pete Buttplug. That just about sums him up. The Alfred E. Newman of government. And he's out there essentially telling people, well, guess what? Gas prices are high. Go get yourself an electric car. It's exactly what they want you to do. Have you priced out an electric car lately? You know, there's 60,000 fucking dollars. So good luck with that. Uh, I was actually texting with Fall this morning and we were talking about the price of gas. He sent me some very, very funny memes. And uh, I told him, I said, I'll tell you where it's really going to affect people here in this country are Uber drivers. Because Uber drivers have to pay for their own gas. Uber doesn't pay for their gas. And unless Uber really ratchets up their rate uh, for their drivers, which means it's going to pass on the rate to their customers, obviously, like Uber drivers are screwed. And that's one of the McJobs of the share economy that came out. And there's very little regulation. I mean, it's there, but it's not like, driving a taxi cab, a yellow cab in New York City, there's a lot of regulation. You have to apply for a license and there's there's theoretically training, although I have been, was it, was it a cab or car service? I had some of the worst fucking drivers in New York City. Um, and I think it was the car services. I remember one time I was picked up by this guy. He was Asian and he couldn't even speak English. Barely. And he had to he had to talk to somebody on the phone. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he was. What is Hamas? I don't know what it was, but I know it, it was some Asian um, variant, right? It sounds like it sounds like a like a like a virus. Some Asian variant. Um, but he could he couldn't even. He it was amazing. It was like he. So he had, this was, I think, the, the early 2000s. So they, he had like the, the map questy thing, I think. But even that was hard for him. So he actually had to talk to somebody. And they had to talk to him and tell him. Where, it was great. So this would happen in, in New York from, from time to time. Uh, you'd run into some of these characters. They just get here. They get a job. And, they, and they're driving around New York. That's a scary thought. They probably know how to drive, but it's not easy to drive New York. Any, anyway, the Uber drivers are going to, they're going to, it's going to be hard for them. And there's a lot of them. And that's how a lot of people have been able to survive is to drive Uber. And it's, it's sometimes it's well-paying. And if you're on the hustle and there are Uber drivers on the hustle in a town like uh, Fredericksburg, if you're on the hustle, you pick up somebody on a Friday and you just do a side deal with them and say, look, I'll be your driver all weekend. Here, here's you know, oh really and then you negotiate a fee and you give them their you, you give them your number and you're on call with those people for that weekend i know people that do that and they make good money so there, you can do the side hustle with uber in a tourist town it can it can work if you're in a place like austin where you're just bringing people to and from the airport it's a bit of a different deal so this is going to affect the the uber economy that trickles down. That will trickle down. If they have less money, if they're driving less, which they will, or they're still driving the same amount, but they're making less money, that means there's less money going into their household. 
which means there's going to be less money to buy products. Guess what? Products are going up. We have inflation. So now you have less money to buy the products that are going up. That uh, This is a recipe for fucking disaster. A recipe for disaster. Now, if fuel prices were where they were two years ago, we're not even having this discussion. I'm not, I'm not even talking about it, but we are talking about it now because this is what's happening. And it is a controlled demolition of the Western economy in real time. Now, let's get into some of the movie aspects of this thing. So good friend Lisa sent me a, a text today and it was a text from, it was, it was, it was a, um, a piece of uh, text from Ben Fulford. If you know who Ben Fulford is, the dragon family guy, the guy who is, uh, who is interesting for about 15 minutes, metaphorically speaking, although he's still mildly interesting, but he's the, anytime you essentially come through like, like, like David, David Wilcock was his midwife. And anytime David Wilcock is your midwife, you're kind of tainted in some ways. I hate to say it, but it's true. Uh, and, and initially, Benjamin Fulford had some interesting things to say. I think he was on Project Camelot. Supposedly, he's in Japan um, and understands the triads and, and the dragon families and the dragon bloodlines and, you know, all, all this other, uh, you know, sort of... I don't know, you, you know, deep Yakuza hocus pocus, right? I mean, that's sort of his world. So I don't really pay much attention to him um, only because like David Wilcock, he's been wrong a number of times. Now that said, um, the tweet that was, or the text that was sent to me today was there was, there was some truth to it. For instance, uh, Russia, which has been kicked out of uh, MasterCard and Visa, you know, they've joined UnionPay, which is China's version of the uh, of of the credit card. Right? They don't really need SWIFT. You know, they've got enough countries now where that they're connected to BRICS, um, and if they wanted to, at some point, they can just flip this thing to Ripple XRP if they want to. And of course, the XRP people are sitting around, they can't wait for that moment to happen. But, um, so I don't think that that's a problem. The other thing that was in the text was that uh, Russia is going to nationalize everything as a, as a uh, form of protection. I don't have any problem with that. I can see them doing that. That's probably in their best interest anyway. So, you know, they, they basically create a firewall by nationalizing everything. And the other thing that the tweet said, or, or the text said, was that this is where it gets a little, he said, she said, that all these companies said they were pulling out. And the tweet was that Russia kicked them out. I might lean into that a little bit. I could see Russia doing that. But the West is reporting that they're the ones um, that are leaving. And the other thing that's true about this, which is leads me to believe that there is probably some validity to, to uh, this series of bullet points, is that they left these factories behind because there are auto manufacturers in Russia. So whether 
it's Volvo or Ford or whoever that theoretically left or the Russians kicked them out. They've got these manufacturing plants that they've left there. So that means that the Russians can use those plants. And then, so I think this is going to, certainly it's going to impact the average Russian for a while, uh, probably negatively, but I just keep coming back to that one story, which I've told, and it, and it came through that Netflix special on these chefs from around the world. And it was really early on when Obama started the sanction process against Russia and Putin declared that there would be no American foodstuffs that would be used in either any markets or any restaurants. And he ordered them all destroyed. So if you had any kind of American foodstuffs in your restaurant and they came in and you had it, they would have shut you down and taken your license and you'd be fucked. So you had to destroy that stuff. And it was hard. It was difficult. But what happened was, is that it forced them to look inward to their own ability to source, process, and create um, their own cuisine or recreate their own cuisine. It was like, oh, that's interesting. To me, that said, whether or not you believe Putin is Putin, to me, that said everything I needed to know about the mindset. Like, there was a mindset there, and it was like, you know, fuck you, you know, fuck you, we're going to bite the bullet, we will experience some austerity, and through that austerity, we will become better equipped to reconnect with our sources. So when I saw that, and I see that as part of this overarching arc or narrative, it's like these people can handle it. They've been through shit. It's not like their lives have been Disneyland since the wall fell. I'm sure for some it's been quite good. And in some ways it's been better. And in some ways it's been worse. You know, the social uh, safety net that was there during the, the reign of the communists isn't there anymore. Uh, a lot of the infrastructure that the communists set up has been led to go to pot. I'm sure they built new things, but it wasn't like the state sponsored initiatives, which was really in uh, post post World War II. Russia was in many ways like uh, the WPA and the New Deal with Roosevelt and how he socialized this whole process of rebuilding the infrastructure, building out the infrastructure for the United States. So that was actually happening in Russia at the same time. And a lot of Americans were going to Russia to actually assist them, which is interesting. By the way, there's these, these um, stories that these Americans and people from other countries are going to uh, Ukraine and Russia to fight in this theoretical movie war. It's like, okay, so... It reminds me of the French Foreign Legion. Let's go join the French Foreign Legion. Not the best thing. French Foreign Legion was your last resort. In some cases, you were give if you were guilty of a crime, they'd give you the choice of actually going to prison or joining the French Foreign Legion. 
It was one step above prison, essentially. So let's talk about the movie that uh, we're, we're seeing now. I'm going to play you. I found this last night in one of my sleepless moments. Although I will tell you, I, I did get better sleep last night. And, uh, and, I'll, I'll, uh, and I actually had. Now, normally, I don't have really good dreams. I, from a young age, I have been played with very dark dreams. It has a lot to do, I think, with having Scorpio in the 12th house, which is the house of sleep. So I have to go through Scorpionic dreams, a lot of intensity. You go through compulsions, obsessions, death, violence, weird shit, right? That's the 12th house in Scorpio. So, but last night I had a good dream. And um, I, t- I took uh, a couple of little CBD gummies that had some other kind of sleep potion uh, essentials in there. And eventually I got to sleep, but my sleep was deeper and I actually had a really good dream last night. And the dream I had was that they were giving this house away and it was a very cool house. It looked like it was a cross between a Japanese style house and uh, like a New Mexico, you know, kind of trendy Adobe. It was very cool. And I remember that there was this Asian woman and they had all these names of these people that were supposed to, that entered in to get this house. And I think she was the one that was somehow like pulling the ticket or something. I don't know what it was, but she grabbed all these names on these slips. And then she pulled out my name in the slip. And it was, what was interesting is that it was the, it was the, the process itself was, I think, rigged, not for me, but it was rigged that somebody else was going to get this house. But then she intervenes, grabs these slips of paper and pulls my name. And then I get the house. And I was like, man, this is really cool. I'm so happy about this house. And then all these other people were pissed off that I got this house. So then I kind of had to defend the house, which I did, by the way. I did not lose that house in the dream. That house is intact. So if you, if you have trouble sleeping at night, maybe the CBD little sleep gummy may not only help your quality of sleep, but it might enhance the quality of your dreams as well. Now, leading up to that, I was watching YouTube videos and I, I came across this one. And I'll tell you how I came across it. I was trying to find, I had this idea that I was going to do a movie. I, I still may do a movie, but maybe not today. I may do a movie. I have to find the right movie though, in order to do this. So I, 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 I found this movie that was made in Ukraine because I wanted to see like what Ukrainian movies were like. Couldn't find a lot of them. It's interesting because they've shot Bollywood movies in Ukraine, which I thought that's kind of wild. 
that they would shoot a Bollywood movie in Ukraine. But I guess maybe if they wanted a certain kind of architecture or look or feel, or maybe they wanted a certain kind of natural environment, which they probably may not have in India unless you go to the north. Um, maybe that's why they went there. So I discovered this one movie, and let me cue it up here. And then I'm going to show you, like, the movie movie. This movie is fantastically horrible. It's called Heroes Never Die. Go ahead, sacrifice yourself. You'll be a hero. You'll be remembered forever. You'll never die. Isn't that part of the, the method of the mythos? There's some truth to it, but there's also some hype and propaganda. Okay, so let's take a look at this movie here. Heroes Never Die. Let's see the synopsis. Based on a true story, volunteer military soldiers become fierce heroes after they defend an airport under attack in the Ukraine. Why do they call it the Ukraine? Isn't it just Ukraine? Why the Ukraine? Why the Ukraine? Do they call it the Russia, the Poland, the Hungary, the Ukraine? Is it to put them on a level playing field like the United States? or the UK, just thinking out loud. So the director is Akhtem Setableyev. Okay. That's basically it. This is what you get based on a true story. Heroes never die. Let's watch a, let's watch a few moments of the, skip past, we pass the opening credits. Yeah, here we go. Now, what's interesting about this movie, I'm going to give you just a quick heads up here, is that it's been dubbed into English. So we're not hearing them actually speak Ukrainian. They're speaking in English, and the script and the dialogue is one of the worst um, <laughs> dubbings I've... It's terrible. It's comical. All right, let me play this for you. And um, this came out in 2017. So it's a good five years before where we are now. But that's how propaganda works. I mean, they've been working on demonizing Putin since, well, right around 2014, 2015. That's what's been happening. Look at that. It's gotten 2,429,238 views. A lot of people, a lot of eyeballs, a lot of lushy loosh. Okay, here we go. Without any further delay, let me take you into this. Um, extremely bad masterpiece. Here we go. Oh, hey, can I talk to you? No time. Hey, wait. 
Can you give us a comment? No, 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 don't, don't shoot me. Oh, please, come on, don't be scared. This well, isn't I'm a machine star. gun. I don't want to be on camera. Come on, just a Major, comment. Come on. Come on. You see that? Do you see that? Look at that. Right there from the jump, they're telling you. They're telling you that it's a movie. It's a movie. He just literally is thrust forward into a movie. I'm going to put my uh, earbuds on here better. Yes, I changed your password. Could you keep going through my messages? What chicks are you talking about? Which car's the medic in? No, it's just a... Are you crazy? I'm with them right now. I don't... Excuse me, Chief. Where are we supposed to go from here? I'm not your chief, okay? And what are you doing here? It's for the third time already. Five months here. Send us some normal soldiers. Oh my god. We're not gonna give up the airport, okay? Ukraine is with us. Medicine. See? The movie. The omnipresent movie. The movie within the movie. Same man would sit still while the enemy bluntly attacks our homeland. As you can see, our soldiers are getting ready to deploy to the Donetsk airport, to the most severe spot. The Donetsk airport is only three kilometers from Pisky, where we are right now. Our soldiers called the road to the airport, the road of life. They are going there to protect their families. They are going there to protect- By, this, by the way, this guy sounds like he's an Israeli. Listen to his voice. Their parents, and they are going there to protect their children. They are going there to protect Ukraine. They are also going to go to Okay, go back and watch this. So they're going there to protect their children. They're going there to protect Ukraine. Okay, watch who's in the view of the passenger's window. Children, they are going there to protect Ukraine. They're also going to go. The omnipresent blue and gold. There she is. One of the lovely Ukrainian women. By the way, this is one of the standard sequences in any war movie is the approach to battle. Whether it's um, Black Hawk Down, Starship Troopers, right? There, it's always the approach to battle. It's that moment before you go into battle where everybody's looking around and having a bit of a reality check, right? So of course, they've got to check that box. Hey, you ever go try to ride an amusement park ride like this before, man? <laughs> you hear that? The guy fucking sounds like he's from, he's from Waco. Listen to this. Pretty rough ride, isn't it? Man, you ain't seen shit till you get out to the battlefield, brother. <laughs>
Now, if you saw, if they actually were videotaping that in a theoretical battle sequence and they showed it on the evening news, would you be able to notice any difference at all? By the way, if you're watching, listening and not watching, there's a guy who just flew through the air completely on fire like the Human Torch in the Fantastic Four movie. And now he's hitting the ground and tumbling and rolling because he has to put the fire out because he's a stuntman. That's another war meme, right? The guy says, stay here. I'm the seasoned veteran. I'll get it. He goes out to get his gun, and of course he dies. This dude now is shocked and traumatized, like, oh, man, did I fuck up. And he's got to get over that really quickly. Here we go. to the airport why are you sitting there come on in guys come on in guys transfer to the airport not a transfer but a chauffeur get inside feel like I'm at a concert that's shit and we're only heading there now anyways where were you I mean concerts yes symphony concerts have you been to the airport you know why you ask you swagging as if you've been to Ilvesk how would you know I just came back from there I'll see my pals real soon Damn, we left our weapons in the IFE. Shoot. That's right. Bastards, they came to us. But it's Bastards. fine. They'll sink in their own blood. Just stay calm. Hey, guys, you won't believe it. We're here. No, we don't believe it. Okay, so they don't have any weapons. <laughs> We're here. They're smiling. True story, apparently. No weapons, but man, they're going to hold down this airport, which looks like it's never going to uh, launch or land another plane in the next decade. If you're watching it, it's pretty dystopic. We'll watch a few more minutes of this just for the bad dialogue. 
and then we'll shift to the uh, the the real movie, supposedly. Welcome, everyone. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to heroes. Oh, Serpent. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to heroes. Glad to see you. How was the road? We got into troubles. Yeah? Several wounded. The cars had to go back to Pisky. I see. It's all of them? All of them made it. I see. Come on inside. Get inside, guys. This is Serpent. I've told you about him. Come on. Hey, Jude. Huh? Will you show our hotel to the new guests? Sure. I just finished making up the list. Listen up. Clothing items. Gloves, 20. Kevlar helmets, 14. Rubber boots, 8 pairs. Size 45 to 4, size 43 to 30. Wow, who's 40? I am. <laughs> so you're our Cinderella. Yeah, shut the hell up. I'm fucking with you. <laughs> hey, Borsh. What provisions do we have? Yeah, shit, just as always. Foie gras and marzipans. Don't forget the Kiev cake. Yeah, I'm writing it down now. Marzipan, foie gras, Kiev cake. Get porno stuff. I'll take extra. And a top for the pot, damn it. I've been asking. Get porno stuff. I'll take extra. These are real dudes. This is real dude war talk right here. This is this is how they talk in the midst of a heated battle. Okay. This shows you just how manly these men are. Get the real porn stuff. Looking for it for a while. Well, I've been putting it on the list for a month. I give this to volunteers. In case I'm dead. Oh, it's a Base to Kamas, what was that? Copy. So guys, welcome to the four-star all-inclusive hotel. I'm Jude. Saturday. <laughs> major here. You're a major? Mm, I don't think so. I'm Mars. Yeah, the god of war. Mars is short for Machinko Slava. Uh, yeah, stop it. Admit it, you like it. Don't make excuses. Hey, who are you? I'm Goya. <laughs> I mean your alias. He's just Goya. He was drafted. Does it make me worse? It doesn't make you worse. It doesn't make you a soldier either. So this goes on and on, right? It's just horribly bad. Oh, they have to have Mars, the god of war there, because he's a hero. Play a little bit more. The Hackney dialogue is amazing. So now they get the weapons. Look at that in the background. That's a Walmart. You see that? That's a, that's a fucking Walmart poster right there. <laughs> Walmart, by the way, has Ukrainian colors. Have you noticed that? Hey, game separatists, roll call. Just look at him. Come to us, we'll kill you, bitch. We'll you better come up here. The only place they're going is in a body bag. Oh.
guys, can we take some ammo? Well, take three crates. But there's six of us. Five, Saturday sting. Ah. Change of plan, guys. We're taking the scenic route. I got something to show you. We're taking the scenic route. I got something to show you. So this movie is just incredibly bizarre. And it obviously you'll see people die and they'll have their final words and last speeches and you know, they'll go down as heroes, but ultimately what is it? It's a propaganda piece. It's a propaganda piece selling the war. It's a movie. And it's also interesting that they're not even speaking in the Ukrainian language. They're dubbing it in American accents, like some dude is from Waco or some stupid shit. Like it's bizarre. It's totally bizarre. And the reason why they're doing that obviously is to get as many people as they can to watch the movie because those pesky little subtitles will keep you from watching the movie. Never kept me from watching. I don't mind subtitles. I read fast. The uh, comments are telling. It's a powerful movie, very well portrayed story of Ukrainian brothers in arms defending what is left from the Donetsk airport. The movie contains incredible combat scenes as well as insightful dialogues. Okay that shed light why both sides are fighting each other. To be honest, it was hard to watch this movie. And I am not even Ukrainian. Yeah, it was hard to watch that movie for different reasons. Glory to Ukraine. That was 10 months ago. All these are about 10 months ago. Glory to Ukraine and Ukrainian heroes. Slava Ukraine. Here I am, Slava. Ukraine forever. I salute those who are serving for the right cause. You are truly heroes. Thank you for your service. Great movies. They fought for their land. Real heroes. A very good movie with lessons we can all learn from. Amazing movie. It gives a whole different H-O-L-E. Meaning, purpose, and understanding to one who wants to go to war. The language that the captain spoke was really the truth. And everyone should think like him. If he was wishing to go to war, you have to have a personal purpose and understanding, not just listen to bloodthirsty leaders. Enjoyable film with good performances. The heroes never think about themselves, but they always think about how to safe and make happy the other people. Okay, I get it. Best movie, I cried. So... Apparently, there are a lot of people that are into this movie, or at least would be led to believe that they're into this movie. And when you search around for Ukrainian movies on YouTube, you don't get a whole lot. I saw a few. But this one was one that really jumped out at me. And what it's doing is it's, it's selling the war effort. And they're actually going after people who are in Western Ukraine. They're, those are people in their own fucking country. So they're killing their own countrymen. So it's, a, it's for all intents and purposes, a civil war. I mean, that's what they're portraying here is a civil war. And the, uh, the people in Donetsk are 
they don't want to really be a part of the other side of the river. That's like, we want to be over here. For the most part, we speak mostly Russian. So they're being shipped into this area to go. So I, there are a lot of different sides to what's going on. This guy, Russell Bentley, who's been on Jeff Rents for many years now, um, maybe too many years, has walked through that area, the Donbass area, and has talked about the shelling and all the uh, violence and carnage that has been perpetrated in that area by the people on the other side of the river. So it's a very um, interesting and telling look at how people from their own country will turn on one another for lack of a better um, term or, or or phraseology. They'll turn on they'll turn they'll turn on each other. That's ex that's essentially what they're doing. So there may or may not be Russians there at the airport, but there are people who are there who don't want to be a part of Ukraine. But what they're doing is they're flipping the script. They're, they're completely flipping the script because the, these people are like, we don't want to be a part of this. And they have been on the other side of the bullets and the shells coming from the other side of the country. And uh, this movie basically flips the script and turns the Eastern side into the protectors and the liberators um, of that political turf war. Okay, so I just wanted to show that to you just to get you to wrap your head around the fact that they've got wartime propaganda movies being produced in Ukraine to support this idea of this just and righteous war. Well, that's a movie that's portraying a war. What if there isn't a war, but they're making a movie trying to portray there's one? So I came across a series of uh, tweets, which are quite interesting. And I'm going to um, unroll them here. Uh, this guy, he goes by the name of Les Luther. I don't know who he is. I'm just, I've just discovered this Twitter feed. And I'm going to play you what he shares with the rest of the world. Uh, join me as I LARP my way onto the Hollywood movie set we know as Ukraine. Will the Matrix allow me to speak behind the curtains of a manufactured and manipulated world staged event? So this guy's a lot of loaded language. And if you're listening, uh, what I'm looking at is a movie studio and they have a, it's a very large photograph with Ukrainian people you see the ubiquitous kind of what would you call that blue like a like a peacock blue and peacock blue and yellow and it's a crowd shot and there's a woman who has a hat and a hoodie on and the sign says help ukraine now and it looks like it's happening in real time but it's not it's being shot in a studio and there are people looking at what's being shot so that's the first tweet we see the second tweet is him going to 
Uh, he's from, uh, from Luton, England. He goes to Krakow, Poland, and then Poland to Ukraine. He's into 33 symbolism, this guy. All right, so I'm going to play some of this because there, there is some sound. So let's see if we can get He's on a train here. He says, uh, even, even though he spells even wrong, which is strange. I don't know too many people from England who would spell even wrong. Evan, though unvaxxed, entered Poland with ease on the condition I left within 24 hours. So I wasted no time and took a train from Krakow to Prismasil. The only sign of war was the name of the cafe. All right, so let me play this, see if we get any audio on this. So what we're seeing is of him arriving into uh, Ukraine with the train. Looks like uh, the sun is rising or setting. I'm not sure which direction, but it's on the horizon. And uh, the train is moving slowly. See the sun rising or setting. <coughs> Uh, through the uh, the leafless trees, and looks like he's in his train car. Showing he's in the train car. It looks like it's at night. So that's going to be and versus the capital. capturing it with his uh, cell phone. So now he's at the train station, and. Uh, it says lights, camera, action, Prismissile train station, the refugee movie set. A well-planned stage managed route ensures the Ukrainians arriving are bottlenecked and compressed into the ticket hall so the media can create the illusion of hell on earth. So what they're doing is they're essentially routing people into an area where it's very congested and looks like there's a lot of chaos. So I'm going to play this. You may be able to get some audio in this one as well. And they have a uh, they have a TV crew which is commenting on whatever's going on. So here's this reporter talking about the refugee crisis. And really, it's just people traveling on the train. If you look around there, people are smiling. They don't seem stressed out. So now here they come, they've got orange vests, they're bringing the film crew in to make it look like it's an emergency. Um, it's really just a video. They're kind of creating this staged event and now they're being interviewed. They've got their orange vests on. And I hear somebody else who's being, looks like he's being interviewed. Or he's actually videotaping the people that are being videotaped. Not our guy though. Here we go. There's another camera. There was camera rolling, people videotaping, people that are videotaping. All seems frame within a frame, staged and managed. Okay, here's scene number two, number three. Outside the refugee train station, police vehicles leave the lights flashing. Every 20 minutes, the sirens turn on and vehicle does a loop around the block. So let me let's just play this from start to finish. So it gives the illusion that there's a constant state of emergency, but these are just really parked vehicles.
nothing going on here. The reason why you're hearing nothing is because nothing is going on. And here comes one of the police vehicles. Blue lights flashing. Every 20 minutes. Do a loop. And there's the ubiquitous camera videotaping everything. Always in the background. Okay. Here we go. Let's go to, this is um, the video village uh, Persmissile. Here we find the director and producer of the refugee movie. All stage photos need good lighting. So we can see that. Nothing going on again, but they need to have photo ops. Look at the, uh, the brickwork there on the ground. Looks fantastic. Very cool stuff. Again, no explosions. There's no people bleeding. There's no bandages. Here we go. There's more of the movie set. Tons and tons and tons of video equipment here. I mean, this thing is loaded, absolutely loaded with uh, sound and capture technology. And looks like there's some of these orange vest guys that are inside the train station. Now they're outside the train station. Okay, so there's that. Uh, I'm unable to find a hostel or hotel full of refugees, you ask? No. All the hotels in this town are taken up by the press. Whilst these scumbags sleep in luxury, poor Ukrainians are left to sleep in the railway station, creating more stage photo opportunities. So this is what we're watching now. But apparently, eventually he finds a room in a hostel. So again, you're not seeing anything that's related to any kind of natural disaster or state of emergency, but they put a bunch of cots inside of the train station because there's no hotel rooms. A one minute walk from the movie set, life is normal. So we have another little clip here. Uh, I guess this is just not far. This is not far from the train station. There's nothing going on. We see cars kind of moving in the background. So then he says, here you can see how perfectly fine doors are blocked by signs in volunteers, AKA stagehands, bottlenecking everyone through one door, the camera crew set up to capture this manufactured event for the cameras. So essentially again, what they're doing is they're hurting people. They're making this bottleneck so that there's chaos. Um, and it looks like that they're having to um, deal with an onslaught of refugees. And again, in the background, you can see somebody with a video camera. Uh, here's somebody who is, again, part of this state-sponsored media crew. And most of the people here are carrying freaking video cameras. Like the majority of these people are actually seem to be the media. Right, so the next one here is you LARP as a photographer. Uh, all LARP is a young man heading off to war. This is a stage photo shot of a young guy who looks like he's going off to war and he stands up and he picks up his bag and he leaves. And he's in a line at the train station, but really he's just like lying. It's not real. And he, unfortunately he ends the video just before he's about to get up and leave, but that's what he does. So now here he is, he's taking the train into Lviv um, and what we're seeing here is people just getting on a train. 
and it uh, doesn't seem very stressful or it doesn't seem very warlike. There's a lot of empty seats. I think a lot of people in Ukraine are locked down, by the way. So it gives the appearance at times of you know, them in a shelter. And really, there's a curfew. We'll see some of that later. Um, here's the next um, part of the thread. He's into these 33s. I arrive around 2 a.m. I help an old lady with her bags as she seeks information on travel to her hometown of Odessa. Once she's sorted with tickets, I take a closer look around. The 33 continues to follow me. So now he's uh, in Lviv. Doesn't seem like there's a hell of a lot going on. There's still a lot of lights, a lot of people with video cameras and kind of more organized chaos. But we do not see any battle scenes. No battle scenes, no carnage. Manufactured, once again, a curfew is enforced from 8 p.m. till 8 a.m., meaning travelers can't leave the station and are forced into participating the fully immersive 4D crisis experience, complete with props like the trash can fire. So you see in the background, they have the trash can, plenty of wood to stoke the trash can fire. So they're creating this um, natural setting by forcing people either to be herded into congested areas, so it looks like there's a crisis, or keeping them inside of the uh, train station at 8 p.m. so they can't leave. And, and again, it looks like, number one, the streets are kind of empty, but around the train station, it looks like there's more of a crisis. Uh, I talked my way onto an overnight train around five pounds, warm place to sleep. There are many Ukrainians heading back in. So I guess the idea here is that the ones that have left are now coming back. So he's on a sleeper train, looks a little dingy, but he'll be sleeping in the train station, I suppose. Just for the record, you can just buy a regular train ticket into Kiev, either online or at the station, trains are running as normal. This is March 4th, by the way, and we're seeing some footage here um, at the train station. He posts it March 7. Looks pretty normal. Doesn't look like anything's going on. And then here he says, uh, filming around the Kiev train station uh, was near impossible. Talking, texting on the phone was okay. The moment you turned the phone into a into filming position, Agent Smith with, with guns would appear. Agent Smith equals government police. I got pulled aside twice within 10 minutes. So I left. So it's a two minute walk from the train station and he says everything is normal, but they won't let you videotape. They'll let you keep your cell phones on, but they won't let you videotape. Uh, on the way, I take a walk to the supermarket, no signs of a war yet, only the very familiar feeling of a lockdown. Is this a result of war question mark or is this the government corporations creating delusion of war to economically force people out of the city? Very good question. So you don't see people around. It's kind of like COVID. But he's there, he's walking around. As in this scene, he's walking down the street. There's no bombardments, there's no casualties, there's no vehicles are burning uh, or buildings on fire. Looks pretty normal. 
Here's the next video. The media claimed intense fighting had reached uh, Kiev. I walk the street and see no evidence of this as of yet. So this is from March 6th. We see some cars, light traffic. Again, there's, there's no um, evidence of any bombardment, any casualties. Looks very normal. People out walking around, shopping bags. as he throws his hands up in the air. Audio sound effects are another way to create the illusion of war. So I think um, they have these sirens that go off every now and then. And I've been watching uh, the live streams. So here are these sirens that you never see anything. There's no flashes of light, there's no explosions. You just run these sirens occasionally. And I've seen that on the live streams from Ukraine. Uh, we have illusion warfare tactics. This is the next uh, tweet on the thread. Shut everyone inside for curfew and blast sirens across the city to scare the shit out of people. That's what I'm talking about. Nothing ever happens. Uh, people are locked inside. They don't know what's going on. Everyone told me there is no hotels or hostels in Kiev. It's a war zone. Truth. There is an abundance. So he, okay, so he finds a place to stay in Kiev, not in that other place by the train station. Truth is, there are an abundance of places to stay. I picked the cheap hotels. I'm on a budget. So just so everyone understands, I'm a nightclub bouncer with about 1,000 pounds to my name. So this is him walking into a hostel. Looks pretty clean, pretty spartan. Uh, I've been in worse. There's the view out of his hostel window. Again, uh, no damage, no wreckage. It's a little bit like a prison cell, but it could be worse. Each day I wake up, grab a coffee, continue to walk the streets in search of a war. I gave up on taxi drivers on day one. They wanted cash, which is hard to find in Kiev as all the ATMs are dry. Let that be a lesson. But understandably, they didn't want the attention of driving a foreigner to Irpin. So he's got to walk around. We're just seeing him walk through the streets of Kiev. Again, as a visual... What you're seeing here is light traffic. Uh, the sidewalks are clean. They're not littered with litter. They're not littered with bodies. They're not littered with uh, debris. Uh, there's no collateral damage here. It's really just an empty city for the most part with the occasional car every now and then. So grannies walk their dogs as normal. The reporters wear flak jackets. This scene is at a, looks like it's at a BP and people are getting gas, and you see uh, somebody walking their dog. And But of course, there's the ubiquitous film crew, video crew, and they are dressed for war. They're wearing flak jackets and giving this appearance that they're in the midst of a major battle and crisis. The city of Kiev is now movie set. Come experience the illusion of war. 
as we walk through the Hollywood set known as Kiev. Props such as abandoned cars, blockades, and checkpoints are placed around the city by the visual effects team for fully immersive 4D experience. So this is where they create the appearance. Now it may have some, I don't know, purpose stopping the, the invading hordes of Huns, but for all intents and purposes, it looks very staged, very, very staged. Who knows how long these blockades have been there. The cement blockades have probably been there for a while. Throwing some tires on top of them make, make them look new, I think. And here you have these things that look like, uh, if you're playing jacks, they look like giant jacks in the middle of the road, uh, which are serving to, to create a blockade. Now here's a weird image of a car, which um, looks like it's been in a front end collision, but is being used as like a prop. One of the uh, casualties of war. Here's another car, Honda, look at a Honda Fit. Flat tire in the front, back window shattered. Tip, always carry an item and receipt whilst walking around a movie set. Like Kiev, there are many Agent Smiths in blacked out vehicles driving around. So what he's saying is, is that uh, it's good for you to look like you've just bought something and you blend in because they'll apparently see that. He does this on a number of occasions. He's showing us that he's walking around uh, with this idea that uh, being a consumer is like a hall pass. So that's um, that's some interesting footage. Now, yesterday I was talking with Masaki, and he follows this woman who I think uh, she's Ukrainian, has an Etsy shop. Um, and she says that there's shelling going on around her house. So this is where we get into this blurring of reality, like what's real, what's not real. I mean, clearly there's nothing going on there. With the places this guy's been, there's nothing going on. Does that mean that there aren't things going on in other parts of the country? I don't know. There could be. Then again, who's doing those things? Is it Russia? Is it the resistance forces? Is it NATO? Like who's, if there are things that are happening, who's doing it? Who's making that movie? So when we look at this version of reality, it's really important to understand that we are living in this very weird, surreal cinematic blur. And the cinematic blur is the fine line between what we think is real and what we can't believe is real. So I'll share a story. I've said, I've shared this story before and it clearly hammers home this point. And the story, for those of you who are new to the show or um, are listening for um, the first time in a while, the story is, is that I have a friend who knows this woman. I actually know the woman, so it's not like I don't know the woman. And she was living in um, Tulum in Mexico, the Mexican Riviera. And she was part of this very well-known hotel resort in Tulum. And the reason why it was well-known is because you could go there, you could hang out and you could buy cannabis and you could buy uh, ecstasy. 
there's a full service one stop shop where you can get all the things that make you feel good, you know, get a massage, go hit the beach, blissful paradise. Well, she had to leave because her son got into a very bizarre accident in the US. So she had to leave, which meant that a lot of her stuff, which she had there at the resort, because she was living at the resort, that she was, I think, I think a co-owner of this resort. She had to leave, but after she left, the uh, one of the cartels came to the hotel and they tracked down this guy who was essentially, well, he was selling E and he was selling cannabis at the resort. They tracked him down and he was hiding in a women's room, women's bathroom there. They tracked him down and they killed him inside the resort. And then just to make sure that they were uh, communicating that they weren't playing, uh, they wound up killing a maid, which is very effective, by the way. If you want to really send a message, killing the drug dealer, eh. It's like, well, you know, as long as I don't sell drugs, I'm fine. I'm not going to get into that. You kill the maid, all of a sudden, you're like, holy shit, they'll fucking kill anybody. So they killed a maid just to let people know that you step outside that line you could be next. So that happened. Then there was somebody else who was connected to this thing. I forget who it was. He was connected to the hotel and the drug dealer. So they start chasing him down the beach in Tulum. And these cartel guys are like opening up, man. They, you know, they're firing on this guy and this guy's running for his life down the beach and there are people on the beach and they think they're watching a movie. This is exactly what I'm talking about. They think they're watching a movie. So this line between reality and surreality and cinema and um, cinema verite, I mean, it's just all blurry, right? We're in this Neptunian movie now where it's very hard to pick apart what's real and what isn't real. And by the way, they, they, that's all happening on purpose, either because of how we've been entrained and socially engineered through watching hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of movies and TV shows and video games, but also how reality is stagecrafted. So there's this weird, weird line, right? Weird, blurry line. Um, and then they blow the hotel up, just like in a movie, just to send a message. We're going to blow this fucker up. And what do they do? They, they now rebuilt, they're rebuilding the hotel in the same place, and they're going to run it. So that gives you another little vignette on how people view reality now. You're watching a cartel drug hit on the beach and you think it's a freaking movie. It's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre and surreal. So this is where we are. And I suppose if I can come up with any closing message is that if you're going to be in a movie 
make it the best damn movie you can make. If you're an, if you're an actor in your own production and uh, the uh, game overseer director is directing your movie, then just be the best actor you can be. Don't play a supporting role in your own life. Best supporting actors and actresses are rarely remembered, but almost everybody remembers, at least they used to, who won best actor or best actress. That's the takeaway. Play the leading role and make it a good movie. Make it your imprimatur, whatever it is, whatever it is. It could be a classic romance. It could be an adventure film. Say you want to go leave the city and go, go you know, find a piece of land, right? That's a movie. It's a movie. Play with it. Go with it. Say you want to recreate yourself. It's a movie. Let's say you're going through a really hard time. Fucking go through the hard time. Like, you know, really go through it. Turn it into a tragedy with pathos that has a great ending, that has a redemption story at the end. Want to have some laughs? Turn your life into a comedy. Crack some jokes. Keep it light. Poke fun at things. Make people laugh. Pull the mask off reality. Right? That's my, that's my closing message here. If this is a movie and it feels like it is, if, it's, if this is reality and sometimes it feels like it is, play the best damn role you can. And when you do that, I guarantee you, will get as much out of the movie as you possibly can. And you won't feel cheated. All right. That's it for today. Join me here tomorrow at uh, 9, 9.11 a.m. Central Standard Time. If you're listening on the podcast, please join us, 15 Minutes of Flame. I'm Robert Phoenix, at least for now in this movie. Take care. And uh, bye for now.